Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, December 7th, 2022 and the end of week 41 of the Russia-Ukraine War. It's been 3,206 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 287 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine war update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mail bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that Russia is still conducting stealth mobilization, and it is almost certain that the second wave of partial mobilization will begin in January or February 2023. Second, we assess that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine has diminished further and is now a remote possibility during the winter months. Third, We assess there is an extreme risk of continued terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure through December 15th. Fourth, we maintain Russia will not stop until the Ukrainian electrical grid and natural gas network are completely destroyed, or Russia's supply of missiles and drones is exhausted. Fifth, we maintain that the risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction, is possible. Sixth, we maintain that Russian President Vladimir Putin is facing more unrest outside the Kremlin, with the Russian information space outraged over the drone strikes on Russian airbases. Seventh, we maintain that Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu is reaching a point where his continued leadership of the Russian Federation Armed Forces is at risk, and that it will be politically difficult to blame Army General Sergei Sorovykin, commander-in-chief of the Russian Aerospace Forces, for failing to defend Russian airbases. Eighth, we maintain that Army General Sorovykin, also the commander of all Russian forces in Ukraine, will increase operational tempo at all costs to create a political victory on the battlefield before December 31st. Ninth, we maintain that neither belligerent will institute a winter pause. Tenth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations. Eleventh, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin to be combat effective due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. And finally, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. 
let's get some regional updates, starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Novoselivsky was shelled throughout the day, but no source reported fighting for control of the settlement. Multiple Russian sources reported fighting in the adjacent village of Kuzimivka. Quick assessment. There's not enough supporting information to declare Novoselivsky liberated, and the situation in the area remains fluid. Based on available intelligence and statements from the Russian Ministry of Defense over the last 24 hours, it is likely that Ukrainian forces have military control of the village. The GSAFU reported that Ploshanka was shelled throughout the day, while mercenaries with Rybar reported positional fighting. Russian sources reported continued positional fighting in Chervonopopivka, including mercenaries with War Gonzo, who claimed yesterday that Ukrainian forces had been pushed out of the settlement. Hmm, interesting. Quick assessment here. It looks like it was likely accurate when we assessed that the video released by Wargonzo on December 4th showed fake combat operations. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, showed thermal anomalies in Russia-controlled Krasnorichenske, east of Ploshanka. Positional fighting continued east of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, JCCC, shared pictures of the aftermath of the December 5th HIMARS strike on Starobilsk. Ignoring operational security, or OPSEC, a detailed battle damage assessment showed that railroad tracks and warehouses were damaged in the strikes. LNR officials reported another HIMARS strike on Starobilsk on December 6th, which struck warehouses and a, quote, weighing plant. Fun fact, when you look up weighing plant on the internet, you get lots of really great sources for weighing your houseplants so that you can more effectively adjust their diet and exercise plans, I presume. The weather forecast for Ukraine is poor for today, so we anticipate a reduction in ground operations. In northeast Donetsk, the GSAFU and Wargonzo reported private military company, or PMC Wagner Group, attempted to advance on Verknokamyanske. Wargonzo clarified that the mercenaries with Wagner remain out of the village and are advancing from the east. We assessed on December 3rd that the picture shared on Wagner Group's social media channels, the one showing two mercenaries allegedly in Verknokamyanske, was in fact a picture report and not an indication that Russia-backed militants had actually taken up positions in the settlement. There were reports from Russian and Ukrainian sources of significant renewed fighting in Spirna, confirming that Ukraine still maintains at least partial control over the settlement. There were no reports of fighting in Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, but the GSAFU did report that Ukrainian positions were shelled. Intense fighting was reported in Yakovlivka, with Russian sources claiming that PMC Wagner had pushed into the village, but remained east of the T-1302 highway. Russian sources reported continued fighting on the eastern edge of Solodar, with no change in the situation. Fighting in the region of the E-40 highway near Bakhmut continued, also with no change in the situation. Late on December 6th, Russian positions were heavily shelled by Ukrainian forces, with a video showing an intense barrage. Russian social media sources attempted to claim it was Ukrainian troops being attacked. Assessment here? 
We have no information to confirm that Ukraine has started or is setting conditions for a counterattack east of Bakhmut. But shelling of this intensity can be a prelude to significant offensive operations. Ukrainian officials told several relief agencies and journalists to leave Bakhmut today, which is another signal that an eastward push may be starting. We will monitor this area closely. In the area east of Bakhmut, the Ukrainian 72nd Separate Mechanized Brigade fired 120mm mortars at a Russian engineering unit building a section of the Wagner Line. This is the first video showing Ukrainian forces disrupting construction. The GSAFU reported Ukrainian positions in Avdiivka were shelled through the day, while Worgonzo claimed that PMC Wagner launched an attack from the hamlet. We maintain the settlement is a no-man's land and is contested. Ukrainian military leaders continue to claim their troops have partial control of Kurdyumivka and repelled an attempted Russian advance on their positions, with Worgonzo confirming an attack. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces repelled an attempted advance on Bilahora, seven kilometers northwest of Ozadyanivka. We adjusted our warm-up based on Worgonzo's report of PMC Wagner units operating west of Kurdyumivka, but we can't verify if this was a DRG or reconnaissance group in the area of the village, or if Wagner has had another breakthrough. The self-declared leader of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, Denis Pushlin, ordered government ministry heads, business leaders, and budgetary planners to reduce the number of people working full-time, quote, as much as possible, just in time for New Year's. Pushlin did not indicate if the request was due to budgetary issues, electrical power and heating shortfalls, or due to another wave of mobilization. The DNR and LNR are already suffering from a shortage of government and private enterprise workers due to combat losses and people fleeing the region to avoid mobilization. The humanitarian situation in Mariupol is worsening, as sub-freezing temperatures of negative 7 degrees Celsius, that's 18 degrees Fahrenheit, hit the bomb-blasted city. The lack of heat is freezing pipes and sewage lines in buildings, causing them to burst. The water leaks they're creating, before they freeze on floors and walls, are shorting out the electricity, leaving residents trapped in apartments with no heat or power and ice-covered floors. Water mains hastily repaired and exposed to the surface are also starting to freeze. Oddly enough, power and water still work in the districts where city leaders and the occupation forces live. In southwest Donetsk, Ukrainian forces repelled an attack on their positions in Novobakhmutivka, the second push the 1st Army Corps of the DNR has attempted since November 23rd. Fighting restarted around Avdiivka after a quiet day on December 5th. Separatists from the DNR attempted to attack Ukrainian positions, quote, east of Vodyana, according to Ukrainian sources. We did not adjust the map due to a lack of photo or video evidence that the DNR was pushed out of the southeast corner of the settlement, but this would explain Ukrainian reports late last week of fighting in Vesele to the southeast. Ukrainian forces attempted to advance into Pisky, crossing the open fields east of the E-50 Ring Road strongpoint. A video on Telegram showed Ukrainian armored vehicles unsupported by light infantry attempting to advance into the village, getting within 200 meters, and coming under artillery fire from the DNR, destroying at least three vehicles. 
There was a lack of engagement with DNR ground forces, and Ukrainian armor operated very close to the Butivka mineshaft complex, which appeared unoccupied. Based on this information, we adjusted the line of conflict and reduced the area we consider no man's land. The People's Militia of the DNR Telegram Channel released a likely honest assessment of the day, claiming they destroyed two main battle tanks, or MBTs, and five units of, quote, armored and automotive vehicles. Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting in Pervomaisky and near the Ukrainian firebase in Nevelsky. The Russian MOD and GSAFU agreed there was fighting east of Krasnohorivka and near the center of Marinka. Russian enthusiasm for the offensive in Marinka has dissolved, with fighting continuing near the city center and the 1st Army Corps unable to break through. After taking the day off, the DNR restarted its military tradition of attacking Ukrainian positions east of Novomikhailivka and being unsuccessful. The Russian MOD claimed Ukrainian forces attempted an advance on Volodymyrivka without any evidence. Russian occupied Makivka with shelled, destroying an electrical substation. Power was knocked out to 27,000 homes, and the Verkhnakalmyuskaya water filtration station was knocked offline, knocking out the potable water supply. Orlivka was also shelled, with numerous areas hit, including the closed Daikon chemical plant, which Russian forces used as a logistics center. Donetsk was heavily shelled, with DNR and Russian officials accusing Ukraine of the large-scale strikes, which killed eight and wounded eleven. We have previously assessed that Ukraine has not intentionally shelled civilians with the specific goal of creating terror. The ferocity of the shelling and the areas hit don't align with Kyiv's military tactics. We cannot confidently say that Ukraine is responsible for all or even some of the strikes. However, we have consistently stated that all war crimes should be investigated and prosecuted if there is supporting evidence. Also, the People's Militia of the DNR reported that Ukrainian forces conducted 147 fire missions on the occupied territories, which doesn't align with the number of strikes observed in civilian areas. We would have expected a much higher number. Maria Piragova, a deputy of the self-declared People's Council of the Donetsk People's Republic, was killed in the shelling. We do link to a photo in our full situation report, which some people may find disturbing. Pitagova's mother was interviewed on Russian state media earlier in the year, justifying the killing of Ukrainians in Mariupol. A video that our editorial team elected not to share showed her weeping over her daughter's body. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling by both belligerents, with Russian forces increasing the number of attacks significantly. Russian forces conducted 51 fire missions on the Free Ukraine territories west of the Dnipro River. Two civilians were killed and one wounded. The Water and Utility Administrative Building was heavily damaged, as well as several nearby homes. In Russian-occupied Holopristan, the ambulance station was shelled with one person injured. Russian forces continue to loot Novokhovka, with the Ukrainian National Resistance Center reporting that medical equipment, furniture, and even the doors are being removed from the hospital. The exiled mayor of Kalinchuk, 30 kilometers northwest of the Kherson-Crimea administrative border, reported that the number of Russian forces in the settlement dramatically increased 
and occupation forces have started to bury their war dead in a mass grave at the local cemetery. The Russian MOD reported fighting in Novodarivka, which is on the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border. Ukrainian social media accounts backed up the claim. There was no change in the operational situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. In Russian-occupied Tokmak, a HIMARS strike heavily damaged a building housing Russian troops. There was no information on casualties, but there were pictures. The GSAFU reported that a December 4th strike in the, quote, Zaporizhia region destroyed up to 20 pieces of Russian military equipment and wounded 70 Russian soldiers, without evidence. Guys. Mikol Lavolik, a collaborator in Melitopol, was severely injured when his home exploded in the early morning hours. Ukrainian government officials claimed that Volik was running a, quote, protection racket, demanding payments from area businesses to prevent harassment and theft from Russian troops. Two suburbs of Zaporizhia were attacked by S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for ground attacks and Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones, which reappeared after a three-week absence from Ukrainian skies. A drone destroyed two homes and damaged eight more, wounding three people. An S-300 missile destroyed one house and damaged ten others. Air defenses in the region shot down six Shahed-136 drones, and we'll have a little more information in the theater-wide section. There was only sporadic artillery and tank fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orikhiv. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Moving on to the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region. Initially, there were 15 ships of the Black Sea fleet on patrol, including two missile carriers capable of launching up to 12 caliber cruise missiles. One ship returned to port, leaving a Kilo-class submarine on patrol capable of launching four cruise missiles. Internet access in Russian-occupied Crimea was severely impacted due to a, quote, accident involving the backbone of the Bosporte telecom network. Definitely unrelated to the internet outage, Sergei Oksyanov, the puppet governor of Crimea, extended the yellow alert for terrorism threats to December 22nd. There were reports of an attempted drone strike on Belbek Air Base near Sevastopol, with two Ukrainian drones intercepted. It was another day, and it was another day of Russian forces targeting the Black Sea salmon in the Neprovska Gulf near Ochakiv, with no damage or human casualties. Undeveloped areas near Kutsurub were also shelled. Coming from Seattle, Washington, where we throw fish, we recommend sustainably harvesting salmon that wasn't caught using explosives and insisting that your fish contains 0% shrapnel. In western and central Ukraine, in Dnipropetrovsk, Russian forces struck Nikopol and Marchenets with artillery and smirch rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS. Over a dozen homes, a college, office buildings, and farm infrastructure were damaged. Ukrainian air defenses shot down eight Shahed-136 drones in the region. Russian forces attacked Kriviri using an S-300 anti-aircraft missile for a ground attack, 
striking the city's industrial district. One civilian was severely burned in the attack. Explosions rocked Dnipro with up to five Shahed-136 kamikaze drones targeting the city. At the time of recording, it's unclear if the blasts were caused by air defense or the city being hit. The Iranian UAVs were also shot down in Poltava, Cherkasy, and Kirovorad oblasts. Now to north and northeast Ukraine. In Cherniv, the border town of Khremyak, near the former P-12 highway border crossing, was shelled. Dmitro Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the Hromadas of Esmen, Miropilia, Shalekhin, Yunakivka, Khotin, and Krasnopilia were hit by a combination of 226 mortars, artillery shells, and grad rockets fired by Russian forces from across the international border. In Khotin, the hospital was hit by 122mm artillery, causing significant damage and a fire. Esman was struck almost 100 times, wounding one person and damaging three homes. Russian forces launched punitive attacks on the Borova area in the Kharkiv Oblast. A woman was killed and her husband severely injured in Zakhizova when their home suffered a direct hit. Three S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack struck the small town of Borivske. The House of Culture was damaged, with no casualties reported. On the Russian front, it's unlikely your day was as bad as Army General Sergei Serovikin, who is dealing with a third drone strike on a Russian airbase. At the Kursk airfield, the fire at the fuel depot continued to burn through most of the day. Three storage tanks filled with aviation-grade kerosene, that's uh, jet fuel, were ablaze, destroying up to 15,000 tons of fuel. The fires were detected by NASA firms and could be seen from space. In Bryansk, fuel storage tanks that were empty due to a previous fire also burst into flames. Ukrainian officials knew nothing, and Russian officials did not make any claims the fire was related to a drone strike. Both fires occurred just hours after Russian President Putin dressed down Sadovyakin in a video conference for the strikes on Engels and Diaghilevo airbases. Oleksiy Reznikov, Minister of Defense of Ukraine, predicted that Russian General Sadovyakin is a short-timer, and Russia will be changing the supreme commander of Russian forces in Ukraine soon. Sadovyakin has already lasted more than twice as long as the average tenure of a Russian command general in Ukraine, which is 21 whole days. The day after Russian President Vladimir Putin drove across the Kerch Bridge, the acting minister of transportation of Crimea, Nikolai Lukashenko, announced that the bridge would remain closed through the rest of the year as repairs continue. So much winning here. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. One day after Russia's fearless leader Putin drove across the Kerch Bridge and kicked off a scandal for disrespecting Russian Mir by driving a Mercedes... Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky visited troops in Kharkiv and Slovyansk. Zelensky thanked and congratulated the medical staff in Kharkiv for their work and dedication and issued state awards. The day after three Russian airbases were apparently attacked by Ukrainian drones, Sergei Ryabkov, Russia's deputy minister for foreign affairs, told Russian state media that his nation was ready to return to the negotiating table if they could receive, quote, security guarantees. In his statement, he threw a barb at former United States President Donald Trump, stating, quote, 
just as with a dialogue regarding strategic stability that was unilaterally terminated by the United States, we are not chasing anyone, and we are not asking about anything. End quote. Okay, sidebar for context. On August 2, 2019, President Trump withdrew the United States from the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, or INF, signed in 1987. The INF Treaty banned ballistic missiles with a range between 500 and 5,500 kilometers. Now, before you start writing your angry emails and unsubscribing, President Trump left the treaty because NATO and the United States believed that the Russian Federation was already ignoring it by deploying SSC-8 missiles. The Trump administration announced its intent to withdraw from the treaty in February 2019 unless Russia came into compliance. But the Kremlin has a bit of a victim complex. While they claim they can destroy the United States and NATO with the snap of the finger from Putin's infinity gauntlet, they simultaneously claim that the Russian Federation is on the brink of imminent destruction by NATO at any second. Literally any second. Reznikov said there are no plans for further mobilization because the Ukrainian armed forces are adequately staffed and receiving so many volunteers they have to turn people away. Ukraine will continue previously planned conscriptions. The United States deployed the 1st Infantry Division and 800 pieces of military hardware to Poland as part of Operation Atlantic Resolve. The Army Division will be deployed for nine months. Germany decided not to transfer Patriot missile systems to Ukraine, with Polish Defense Minister Mariusz Blaszczuk saying the batteries would be transferred to Poland as previously offered. Speaking of patriots, let's talk about Russian mobilization. President Putin held a Security Council meeting to discuss, quote, domestic security for the Russian Federation because Putin is going through some things right now. The press was not allowed to attend and no readout was provided. But we suspect there were a lot of blyats and offers to have tea later this week. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov, who is also going through some things, told Russian journalists that additional security measures had already been taken to secure Russia's airspace. Quote, Without any doubt, they are already protected in a permanent mode. Additional measures are taken there. Each region deals with this in addition to the security forces. This is a constant process. End quote. Cool story, bro. Kirill Budinov, chief of the main intelligence directorate of the Ministry of Defense for Ukraine, said despite Russia running critically low on some precision munitions, they are going, quote, all in, and could further draw their reserves down to zero. Budinov said, quote, in reality, they still have missiles for a few large-scale attacks, and they will reach the bottom of the barrel. As we can see, they are confidently going for it. The production of new ones is quite limited, and only a few types of high-precision missile weapons are produced. End quote. Reznikov, Ukrainian Minister of Defense, said that after the December 5th attack, Russia was left with 30% of its caliber cruise missile supply. In military terms, that means the inventory is effectively zero, and further use will require dipping into the strategic reserve. If Reznikov's math is correct, Russia has fewer than 120 calibers in inventory, and at least some of those would be deployed on ships outside of the Black Sea. Pictures from Bilgorod of the continued construction of the unnecessary defensive line on the Ukrainian border 
revealed Russia has a new problem. The concrete dragon's teeth are already starting to crumble. However, some Russian oligarch has already made serious bank in the concrete business. After a brief search, a deserter from PMC Wagner, who was still armed with his machine gun, was captured for shooting a police officer in the Rostov Oblast in Russia. Russian state media outlet Baza reported, quote, As a result of coordinated operational search activities, he was detected in an empty building near Novoshaktinsk. Investigative actions are conducted. End quote. The mercenary is with a penal unit and is identified as 38-year-old Pavel Nikulin. Police had attempted to take him into custody as a deserter, and he fought back, shooting the officer. Undeterred by deserting penal unit mercenaries, PMC Wagner started recruiting efforts in the Occupied Territories penal colonies. Because, let's be honest, Prigozhin is going through some things, too. DNR self-declared leader Pushilin gave the private military company permission to start recruiting through a decree. Russian state media agency TASS is reporting a military truck carrying Mobix in the DNR crashed into a minibus, killing 16 people, many of them Russian soldiers, including the truck driver. Three soldiers were reportedly in critical condition, and all is definitely still going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you're sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Ukraine and Russia completed another prisoner-of-war swap, exchanging 60 for 60. Russia also returned the bodies of 49 Ukrainian soldiers. The United Nations Refugee Agency said more than 15 million Ukrainians had crossed the border since February 24th. Now, not all crossing represented people who are refugees. Almost half of the crossings were to Poland, followed by Romania, Slovakia, and Moldova. At the same time, over 8 million people have crossed into Ukraine from Russia. Ukraine accused Belarus of using refugees from Iran and Pakistan to test the border to find vulnerabilities. The first group of refugees was intercepted on November 30th, but crossings have continued. In geopolitical news, Ukraine's embassy in Bucharest, Romania, received two suspicious packages on December 6th. The bomb squad was deployed, and there was no additional information at the time of recording. A similar situation was reported in Denmark. In economic news, over 18 million barrels of Russian oil are blocked from transiting out of the Black Sea due to a lack of insurance paperwork and proof that the oil was sold for $60 a barrel or less. Shipments of Russian oil have declined by over 50% in less than 48 hours due to nations enforcing the insurance requirement. The Russian ruble continues declining, falling to 63 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices also keep declining, with WTI crude trading at $74 a barrel, while Brent fell to $79. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market dropped again to $2.14 a gallon, or $0.57 cents a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas deliveries climbed higher, 
trading at 138 euros per megawatt hour for January 2023 delivery and 139 euros for February. Chicago SRW wheat futures dropped to the lowest price in 2022, almost reaching $7 a bushel before climbing back to $7.38 for March 2023 delivery. Wheat is trading at the lowest level since July 2021. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.